Sci-Fi Smackdown, number yes. three. So yeah, this week um, we saw both Blade Runner movies. Number one <laughs> from Ridley Scott from 1982. Uh, this is Cheney's first time watching both the Blade Runners, which is mm-hmm. pretty fantastic. I will refer so to Cheney. them as Blade Runner 2019 and Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, okay. That was confusing, but yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do know what you mean, yeah. Because <laughs> one's, one's set in the distant future of 2019 and one's set yeah. in the even distance term. Is that a word? Distance More distanced. More distance yeah. of 2049. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, more specifically November 20, 2019 in Los Angeles, um, yes. which is pretty almost hitting the nail on the head of where we are today in the world of how Los Angeles in the state of Los Angeles right now being well, on fire and all that stuff. Being on I mean, fire. they're pr- pretty The only close, thing that isn't realistic cr- is, <laughs> is it's raining all the time, which isn't true. That's true. Um, but yeah, Cheney, uh, I want uh, kind of get into it. Though. What was your, what were your thoughts on Blade Runner 1982? So firstly, when I started watching this movie, I had to put myself back into um, the eighties mindset of of a yeah. lot of what's done in this movie is done for the first time. Um, I'm glad you came into it with that mindset because it can throw you off if you're not aware of that or, or, or kind of watching it from that lens. So that that's a good start. Right. Um, so it's um, a lot I, A lot of what they did was mind-blowing, especially with the special effects um, being all practical, the, the hmm. imagination, like the, the sort of birth of the cyberpunk genre, which I, you know, yeah. cyberpunk comes out in a month and a half and you best you're the best believe oh. I'm fucking playing that. Um, so coming in with that mindset, I was like, this is a, this is a good movie. It's, I like it. Um, and I think I said to you over the phone, I like it. I want to love it, but I can't go that far. Mm-hmm. Um, I still looked at it critically because you know, that's what I do. Of course. And, yeah. and, um, there, there is inherent flaws, um, within this movie that, um, I don't think ruin the movie. They don't for me. Um, I think this is a movie you can kind of just sit back, relax to, um, and enjoy the world despite how grim it is. Um, I believe mm-hmm. red letter media put it best when they said it's, um, a nightmare blanket that you can mm-hmm. just cozy up into where it's like, it, it's, it's comforting in a way, especially with all the synth music and the, the way they shoot things like the, the cine- cinematography and, and the shots they do like it shows a, bleak future but in such a calm way where you know i can just relax and enjoy the atmosphere of this movie more so than anything the atmosphere yeah. is that's what a good drives this movie um there there's a very very tangible atmosphere mm-hmm. not like and and part of that it plays into because everything is practical like it was from the 80s no cgi or at least not that much and everything is a set and everything is tangible and physical and there's real fire real uh brutalist architecture that puts you in a dystopian world like this is not los angeles of today this might not be los angeles ever in the world we know but it immediately puts you into a world mm-hmm. and lets you sink in there so, yeah. and that's that's that's, a, that's that's its strongest aspect is mm-hmm. is the world it created um it's an interesting world it's a i love that word you used of atmosphere too i think that's such a strong point to it it, it has a dense atmosphere to the movie yeah extremely um everything is familiar but not in in a good way um but that's its strongest um aspect is is i might sneeze hold on oh duh. oh fuck oh god 
ticking time bomb. Hold on. It's about to happen. Fixed it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the atmosphere is the strongest point for sure. Um, incredible world they created. Um, incredible. Like, yeah. Is it, uh, is it based off of source material? Yeah. So real, yeah, let's real quick get into the story, just what the story is. And also the, the kind of the behind the scenes of the story, because there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's based off a short story actually. Uh, by Philip K. Dick, who is one of the like seminal science fiction cyberpunk writers of you know the world. Like a lot of his stories have gone on to define sci-fi and cyberpunk in general. So it was based off um, a story. Let me just get the title here. It's because the it's the short story is not called Blade Runner. Actually, it's like something about sheep's. Actually, funny enough, but let me find out the exact name for it. One sec. No, not no, not Blade Marvel. No, I don't <laughs> want to find Wesley Slipes. Yeah, shout out though. That's a fucking for, no. But for the series. longest time, because I was aware there was a movie called Blade Runner, Blade Runner, but I for the longest time I thought it was like a sequel to Wesley Snipes' Blade. Uh, That's yeah, embarrassing. I'm stupid. Yeah, very. Yeah, I'm a film student, guys. But um, uh, yeah. What's it? Uh, where's the story? Where's the fucking thing? Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, so this is a short story that came out. It's very loose adaptation of the short story. It just it's kind of more taking the themes of it and running with it and and the setting in the world. But it's plot wise, it's it's Ridley Scott makes his own thing here. Or or actually, I should credit the writers as well. Yeah, the film is written by um, Hampton Fancher and David Peoples. Um, so yeah, the screenwriters definitely deserve their credit on this. It's a it's a rich movie. It's a very dense, packed movie. Um, it's so quick rundown um you're hit with a title crawl in the beginning kind of star wars kin to that just to set up the world and and the context of it so what we understand is the year is 2019 it's november we're in los angeles and there are these things called replicants essentially slaves that do all the things that we don't want to do um they're made out of robots and artificial intelligence and they're slaves and some and there's off-world colonies that we send replicants to to again do the things that we don't want to do like fight in wars sex slaves um a lot of those kind of things and it's 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 kind of told to us not shown but told to us that there's been a series of replicant rebellions throughout colonies and because of that replicants have been banned on earth so to deal with this they've there's a special set of police officers known as blade runners who take care of the replicants uh, meaning to retire them uh meaning to kill them essentially so they've got specialized cops to kill replicant robots who are still on earth uh that's the setup of the movie very simple very straightforward and we after that we open into the opening shot the opening shot which is one of the most iconic opening shots in cinema it's the shot of an eye opening and you don't know whose eye it is. You, it's it's looking over Los Angeles. But as soon as we turn to Los Angeles, you think, this ain't fucking Los Angeles, bro. Uh, the movie came out in the 80s, and it's talking about 2019 in Los Angeles, and you're like, what Los Angeles is this? There's, like, plumes of fire and, and very industrial, very dark and fucking, like, polluted. And, like, and then you think about it, yeah, maybe this could be Los Angeles a couple more years down the line. But, um... Yeah, it 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 immediately intros, uh, intros you into this flyover shot of this brutalist and desolate city, and 
then you get to meet who's behind the who's in the car flying over and that's Harrison Ford who is playing Rick Deckard the Blade Runner uh, protagonist of the story um, and he is going actually this is a bit weird because even though it's him we're not following his perspective in the opening we're actually we're going to the city and we see this like pyramid building we see these pyramid buildings and we're moving into that building and once we get in that building we see an interrogation scene between a replicant and i guess like the police or whatever and so that's our opening scene and that was and that um, that's deckard's events. replacement blade runner no 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 it's not i thought it was no so that's that is what that scene is is an interrogation essentially they're doing an interrogation on a on a somebody they suspect to be a replicant his name is leon and so they do a test called the Voight-Kampff test, which is an examination through like you're looking at somebody's eyes and through that, through like small micro movements and micro reactions, they get, they see if somebody is a replicant or if they're human. And the whole premise in the movie is that if you're a replicant, you die. So Leon, the replicant is in this situation where he's being interrogated by some Blade Runner officer. And by the end of the scene, he escapes. That's our inciting incident. Um, and then we meet Deckard and are introduced into his situation, which is now that there are a group of replicants that have kind of escaped to Earth or have now came to Earth um, for reasons that aren't at first explained to us. And Blade Runner Deckard is supposed to catch them, contain them, and kill them. That's it. Yeah. And we follow Deckard's journey through that while intercutting in between the replicants as well. Yes. So it's a very, very complicated story. Um, told simply, but... Yeah, it's, I'd say it's relatively straightforward in terms it's of... It's straightforward. The reason I want to say complicated, though, because stylistically, it's so out there. It's so... Here's the thing. This movie is heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by uh, film noir, like 1950s detective noir films. Things like Maltese Falcon, um, like it. If when you listen to the dialogue of this movie, it's like these guys aren't talking like people; they're talking like 1950s Hollywood actors, and that's done on purpose because you're supposed to be watching a detective movie. You're, and this is what I mean by it's weird. It's there's a lot of clash of elements in this movie. There's like you're you're being told you're in 2019, the future. It's dystopian as fuck, um, but then the interior spaces are like 1980s office spaces. Like, as soon as you get into the LAPD building, it's, like, a 1980s office building. Like, it's, 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 the inside doesn't match the outside, which is something I find weird. Um, but there's all these stylistic clashes. There is 1950s style of talking, and, and so this film also has a very weird backstory of its making, which I think I'll let, kind of, we'll talk about it in the end. But originally, in one of the versions of the film that came out, there was a voiceover, a very <laughs> iconic... Harrison Ford voiceover that played throughout the entire movie and it was kind of in the tone of like a detective movie but it just didn't work but that's kind of the tone of this it's like it's it's very police drama but set in cyberpunk land, I will say this essentially for a detective movie there there isn't a lot of detective stuff going on if you know what I mean it's it doesn't really expand on that as much and this is this is what we'll get into in 2049 where it's all detective stuff, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's more of a... Here, here's the funny thing between 2049 and, and this one, where this one is outright 
trying to mimic the aesthetic of a film noir movie. But I and I kind of agree with you where the detective stuff isn't as strong in this. It's kind of just passing from scene to scene and he's doing some investigation thing here and it's kind of unclear what it is, but it's it's the context is less given. Whereas in 2049, it's not upfront trying to be a neo-noir movie. Um, I guess I should say that. So because it's mixing in the science fiction aspect, it transforms film noir into neo-noir. That's kind of something that I learned in film school, but it's blending the aesthetics of 1950s filmmaking, which is relevant throughout the movie, right? Like, remember the interrogation in the opening? Yeah. Um, And it's almost shot like a black and white movie. Like, you can't tell if it's a color movie when they're inside the building, right? Like, there's a lot of light and shadows that they're playing with. Um, Very reminiscent of film noir. Like, that's stylistically is exactly what they used to do with black and white films, um, which is just playing with light and shadow and how they interact with characters. So it's not trying to be realistic. It's not trying to be in the in the realm of realism, but it's aesthetically trying to like give you a, a blend of styles here. So in that way, it becomes new noir. Um, but yeah, go on with what you were saying about 2049. Um, 2049 kind of just... Because I don't want to be cruel to the original. Um, but everything in 2049 that the original did, 2049 does better. It just takes whatever was established in, and this is where I'm going to say straight out 2049 is the far superior movie in my mind. I agree to that fact. Um, fact. And in, in a weird situation, this is like falls under the category of like weird Hollywood movies that the sequel becomes better than the first movie. And this is a sequel that came out what 40 years 30 years no not 40 30 30 years years, after the original yeah so you know made by a completely different filmmaker i know ridley scott had a lot of input and on the script and stuff like that but it's by a completely different filmmaker and in a different tone also like different style um but yeah i agree with you it's a better movie it's a longer movie it's a slower movie but it's a better movie right and this is what i'll get into it's like um blade runner the original um it uh it has some good elements in there that aren't quite expanded upon. Um, and I, I wish it could. Um, this is one of my issues with the movie is that the, the, mm-hmm. the pacing is a little weird. And a lot of the movie I found actually like boring. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like a lot of time could have be, could have been spent elsewhere. Um, you know, the infamous enhance scene that takes like, yeah 20 minutes to look at a photo it's like <laughs> yeah holy shit man um, and i'll tell you why i love that scene now because and and cheney i i agree with you this is like at times it's like drawn out and it's like what the fuck is going on but i'll tell you why i love that scene it's because and and people might not agree with me this is not like an official reason or anything it's just because that's exactly what i do when i watch movies that's exactly what i do i have a google chromecast in my house and uh, and the google home thing that you talk to ask questions and all that shit you like turn on my lights and whatever and i have both of them synced up so i'm sitting in my bed i don't have a tv remote i don't have a i can't skip anything like that with my buttons so i'm talking out loud to a little robot and i'm saying hey google skip 30 seconds into bedroom tv okay skip 10 seconds into bedroom tv okay pause okay like the what decker was doing in that situation is like exactly how i watch movies today okay so you just oh there goes my google into the, in, now, in, now my google's off <laughs> it, it, it just okay, i knew that was a trap it it makes you think you're living in a dystopian future well not directly but i think the influence of this movie are not to be um 
forgotten about. Right. It's it's yeah, like I agree with you. Weird detective scene. It almost doesn't even make sense how he's looking at that picture and manipulating it and it's very science fiction and, and that's how you're supposed to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I agree with your your kind of thing about that. But for me, this movie only ever got better throughout multiple viewings because even after my first viewing, I think I think I was in the same place as you. That seems like, to be I the consensus. Love this. It is, seems to be the consensus, yeah. Is that you, you, you watch this film every year and you like it yeah. a little more every year, but only watch it once a year, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, for me, it was definitely like that. It was like I watched, it was the first movie when I got into like film school that I watched um, in lecture. And like the setting of that was almost like watching in a theater. It wasn't watching it on my TV in my apartment or anything. So I got a very cinematic viewing from it. And I was like you in that after that first viewing, which is I want to love it, but I definitely don't love it right now. But there's a lot there. It's a rich movie. It's really rich in in themes and, and, I feel and, like, and um, all that. Yeah. On multiple viewings, you can sort of pick and choose um, what things to gravitate towards. To me, getting all the information. So, at, yeah. At, how at are one, at once yeah. there's certain mm-hmm. things that I really liked and certain things that I really didn't like. And it's sort of a mixed bag in that aspect to me. Um, in terms of character, I actually I don't like Deckard. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not supposed to like him. I know he's sort of supposed to um, uh, emphasize that, well, not if Ridley Scott has his way, um, that moral in, uh he's morally corrupted he's he's not a good person and somehow um, yeah. we still establish that people like him are just better than um replicants by virtue of existing um even yeah. though ridley scott sort of applies or or, or implies otherwise um which is well that's why. one of the themes i find that's one of the themes of the movie is like what you just said yeah it, for and sure that's like yeah, which that's is like fun. something I find he battles in the movie. Also, it's like whether what he sees himself doing is right or wrong. Yeah, you know? and, and I get that. And he has a nice little mini arc. He doesn't really have like a a, a satisfying arc in that aspect. I, I can see why you say that. For me, I think on this viewing when I watched it before we recorded, uh, and I paid attention to his performances. I think his performance in this movie reminds me a lot of Robert De Niro from The Irishman. Mm-hmm. his latest movie in the sense that the act or like what you get across is all from nuance it's all he doesn't do much because he's always either sitting in cars or he's doing a detective and walking around but whenever he's sitting in a car and there's like a close-up shot of him there's like not to sound too kind of uh like up you know in my head or anything about it but like there's a glint in his eyes you know that just gives you the impression like it's not dialogue it's nothing outright but the impression I got was this guy is constantly questioning himself and what he's doing, but he's still going along with the action because this is what he feels is his duty or responsibility or purpose. Right. He's going along with that until a certain situation happens that makes him question everything even more. But, you know, in every shot where it's just him, like kind of like a close shot on him, I really paid attention to that nuance, which I know it's not something in a first reading you're even expected to pay attention to. You're kind of watching everything in a in a wider scope i thought um, it was just I, I did think it was odd acting um and i know from some research that like harrison ford did not get uh, along well with ridley scott which mm-hmm. seems to be a pattern and whether that turns out good like with alien and how um 
uh, Sigourney Weaver says, you know, Ridley Scott was like a fucking asshole on set, but that's the reason why everything worked out so well. Yeah. Compa- I mean, compared- he has a singular vision as a director. Yeah. I think he has a singular vision in that sense. That's why actors might not, you know, egos clash and shit like that on sets because of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, I did think it was an odd performance and it, it, I, there's a lot of, also a lot of, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but there's a loss along with that odd performance. There's a lot of questionable shit that the character does that makes you question like everything really, like how you want to follow this guy in this journey. Yeah. Uh, there's a which scene is, where which he, is fine. I don't, I don't he, you know, I think I know the scene you're talking about, which wouldn't really fly today. Um, no, yeah. Borderline so, yeah. sexual assault. Um, yeah. If not like legit sexual assault. Um, it seems like it. It seems it's it's a weird scene, and I wanted to figure that out more because I, every time I watch that, I question it. Where he's like, he's throwing himself onto Rachel very physically. Well, this and like, is what I got out of it. Yeah, he just got saved by Rachel from um, what's his face, the Leon, Leon, the mustache, weird looking replicant. If you're gonna yeah. make a replicant, why make him? Uh, no offense to the actor, but why make him look like that? He he was well. That's he was what they so say goofy. is that. Yeah, here's here's the here's what I get from it. Each of those replicants in that group served a different purpose. So one was a sex slave, one was like an army veteran. I don't know what Leon was because that's a interesting Leon point. Was, Would he have been an um, army veteran? No, he was he was like a dock worker. They they stated that like he he was specifically designed to lift like four hundred pounds with one arm, and he was supposed okay, to be like. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, so he I guess and he, he kind was of fits he that. was big, powerful. Yeah, yeah, and he's like in one punch like kill somebody essentially something like that so uh yeah that makes sense in in terms of casting you have to agree like his acting was goofy when he was fighting harrison ford 100 percent. yeah and some of the lines like some of the like those kind of like it's time to die like i mean like it was just weird like (laughs) you fucking weird in how they came out you hit that perfectly it's time to die yeah yeah like it's it's really weird and I don't know what that's about, honestly. Why do the replicants talk like that? Yeah. I don't know. There is something that I, I read into uh, Roy Batty's performance. Like, he talks very Shakespearean, if you caught that. No, I do. Right? He, he quotes William Blake. Yes, William Blake is right. Um, and he talks in this very, uh, like, very uh, literate way. Like, he's quoting a lot of people. He's talking what seems to be before, like... Before we what? get into Roy Batty, can I just... Sure. I want to circle back. Anyways, so... Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Rachel kills Leon and saves Deckard. And this sort of fucks with Deckard, which is... Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, well, what the fuck? Like, I thought these um, replicants were like... They can't really act on their own will. And they, and, and, but she did. And he wanted to be proven right that, you know, replicants can act on their own will and they can be human and mm-hmm. what's more human than getting it on so um that, that's interesting that's that's sort of what i got out of it where he was like okay like prove me right get it on with me yeah and and yeah but also i like it that that scene was felt odd because apparently harrison ford and what's her face um her name's Sean something, right? Sean Price, I think. Yeah, Sean Price. They they hated each Sean other. Sean Young, sorry. Sean yeah, Young. yeah. They hated each other, like in real yeah, life. Yeah, I, I heard about that. So like yeah. they 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 had a hard time acting and scenes together. So that's Yo, how. Hold on one second. My Google. I just noticed my Google was started playing music after I talked to it like an hour ago. So let me just turn that off real quick. Yeah, sure. Hey Google, stop playing music. Thanks. Yeah. Continue. Fuck. Anyways, so that's what I got out of it. 
um, and I, I understand like the context behind it. That's why that scene is so weird and uncomfortable, despite the romancy saxophone in the background. Yeah. Um, um, my takeaway is a little different because earlier on in the movie, he essentially shatters her life, her reality, right? So he performs a void conf test on Rachel. Uh, okay, first, let me just set up the scene. So he is going to visit Tyrell. Tyrell in the movie is the guy essentially the like the Einstein of this world essentially he is the manufacturer behind all the replicants he created these nexus replicants that have intelligence on a scale of humans sometimes they're stronger than humans um but within them he's designed this four-year lifespan essentially where they can't live past four years they have they and they also have like fake memories to like sustain them of a of a kind of kind of a consciousness that is similar to humans um but they only live four years right at, at least this version of so it's kind of confusing there's different versions of replicants that they call them nexus like stage six stage five whatever so there's different versions of these replicants the ones that deckard is chasing in the movie i believe they're nexus four and something like that nexus six maybe i don't know um, um yeah nexus roy six. batty is a nexus six i think the other yeah. ones are older. all of them are I, th- I think all of them are because oh, yeah. they all have the they all have a four-year lifespan they're all essentially their arc in the movie is they're fighting against this four-year lifespan they're fighting against death they want life that's their whole thing they just want to live they find that it's unfair that they have this four-year lifespan imposed on them after doing all this fucked up shit so they want to find tyrell for that reason um in the beginning of the movie deckard seeks tyrell out uh to get some more information on these replicants and tyrell in this movie essentially is a god figure he's created life on a scale that is comparable to humans and he kind of like it's in a literal way almost he like takes the place of god um so tyrell makes him perform a test on rachel who we end up finding out because of this test is also a replicant but um a different kind of replicant like a more advanced form of replicant where she almost is able to trick the machine um but kind of in the middle of that process deckard very coldly very like unconsiderately tells her up front like you're not a human you're a robot you're all your memories are fake they were given to you they were tyrell's niece's memories they're not your memories you're not a real person and very bluntly just like shatters her world like that and after that he feels guilty right like he's there's like a moment of like oh i'm sorry like that was just a joke so he has a guilty reaction to that and i think that ties into the scene where she comes back and saves them and like his whole reaction stems off that that was like i'd like destroyed this girl yet she still came back to save my life which is i think connecting to what you said of how, like how these replicants have a freedom uh, like my whole interpretation of this movie is that the replicants are more human than human essentially like they represent the best of humanity to in an this extent movie, where humans um, represent the worst of humanity to an extent um i i mean i th- i think it's a pretty on the nose thing when you watch this movie and even the next movie it's like Roy Batty, in, when I watched this movie and this thing, I viewed Roy Batty as though he does a lot of questionable shit. He's almost the hero of the movie. Like he is like has a very uh, kind of just just reason for what he's doing. He's there's like all this shit like humans that take their life for granted and you know taking our humanity for granted. Like that's a theme in this movie that as humans we're relying on these slaves, these robots to do everything for us. We've and we treat them like shit and 
this, these replicants, all they want is life. All they want is to be treated fair and equal and want the same freedoms of life that are given to other people because at the end of the day, they're conscious beings and that, you know, those questions come up. Right. So this but, whole movie about... Yeah. But I believe for most of the movie until um, Roy Batty figures it out at the end, they go about it the wrong way. So I don't think Deckard's completely unjustified in in his actions. Um, See, Deckard is just... Deckard is as much of a slave in the situation as Roy Batty was. He's just like a cog in the machine that's following orders. And like until the end scene, and I'm jumping a little ahead now, I apologize, but until the end when Roy saves his life is when he realizes, I don't have to be doing this shit anymore. And that leads to the ending. Um, right. So I think in the sense he still is the main character, but his whole journey in the film is learning this important quality of life you know that's that's been forgotten maybe by humans of that time right but um i do think the replicants three of them of the the ones that are sent to the uh well maybe not so much the snake lady um but they're they're not entirely like morally in the right place no they're not they're not they're not carrying out their actions necessarily the right way but they're desperate but you we get understand. A sense they're yeah, desperate. We understand why. They they have days left to live, right? You got to think about it like that. They have literally days left to live. They've gone through hell to get to where they are. They're searching for their father figure, their creator, to to give them life. To essentially, you know, what they're doing, what they're what they're doing, or or what they want is not evil. I don't think. No, what how they they're want going is, upon yeah. it. No, no, how they're going upon it might not be agreeable, but it's out of desperation, which makes you, I think relate to them or, or makes you feel for them i think more made me at least right um, but i don't i agree with you in the sense so it's not an ideal moral situation for no sure. it's not and but that's kind of the whole thing of the movie right like it, it, one of the themes is like the morals of what the humans are doing it's like we've made replicants um for all of our slave work and then we banned them right like there's a huge moral situation there one that we're, we're creating life as humans acting as gods and then shitting on it, shitting on our own creations, and and at the same time destroying the world, right? So in 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 this universe, in this world of Blade Runner, for me, the villains are the humans, and the replicants are essentially have have that core humanity. Um, yeah, it's I don't I don't think it's as cut and dry as humans are evil, rep, replicants are good. I think it's um, being able to establish free will, whether you're a replicant or human, is the ultimate goal for both and one is restricted mm-hmm. and one's trying to get unrestricted to exercise their free will um mm-hmm. and and one is not restricted and that, that's where the whole thing comes down to it's like well yeah it's it's unfair situation what you're given but to lash out as you are it's understandable but um yeah i don't think it's uh, unjustifiable as to why deckard is doing what he's doing because you know you people are dangerous if you know what mm-hmm. i mean um yeah, I don't mean to like paint it as such a black. It's not black and white because the movie is not. It's not a black and white movie. Like I don't mean literally. I mean thematically. Like it's not so clear cut. The whole point is tr- to get you to question what it means to be a human in the first place. And through the sides of replicants and the humans in the movie, you're you're just exploring what it means to be humans. Like both sides encompass that. You know, humans are capable of evil, and humans are capable of great and great things and capable of caring and capable of destroying and it's all this kind of melting pot of things that make us who we are and it's like okay well what is it like 
just the fact that you're born that makes you human the fact that you have a consciousness that makes you human is it is it the fact that you can think about stuff is it the fact that you have eyes or hands and feet like what is what's that core component that makes you human right and right it's like the humans of the future which in some ways you can connect to humans of today right we're we're drawing and we're drawing a line in the sand and we're saying this is this is uh, essentially human this is just this is all this is okay and the other side of that line is well it doesn't matter the other side of it is everything is in the in everything is a means for progress everything is a means for humanity's progress so it that becomes a slippery slope as we see uh, they've trashed the earth they've trashed los angeles there's not a beach in the entire movie there's no palm trees it doesn't look like los angeles so it's like okay well this ideology that humans have of progress and and inventing stuff in the name of progress like does it really end up being a good thing like that's a little deeper into the science fiction stuff in the movie but the there's a lot of theme the thematic kind of like philosophical things that you can pull apart from this movie and yeah it's like even the thing of like the opening shot right it's the opening shot is of an eye opening and it doesn't upfront tell you whose eye it is um my I, like i think ridley scott might have said it or somebody might have said it but i think it's roy batty's eye if i'm not mistaken i don't think it's deckard's eye it might be deckard's eye actually but it's essentially it's just like it's like a metaphor for like the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So and like, yeah, it's there's there's just a lot of complicated kind of shit mm-hmm. that um that makes you question who is who is good, who is bad. Like I I mean I feel like you have a good moral kind of base of how you how you determine those things, but for me I don't know. It's much more complicated than that. I'd like to talk about Roy Batty, who who's mm-hmm. probably the main reason why I would consider rewatching this movie again. Um, he has the most complete arc out of any character in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, a very um, sort of literal interpretation of Lucifer in a way. Um, although he sort of comes back at the end. But uh, his first lines, quoting William Blake about, um, I think the poem's about angels rebelling against god because they are angry that he gave them life and with life comes suffering so yeah um his whole arc is about meeting his maker and and trying to confront him on his own mortality and then when he does eventually meet his maker who isn't a god who is but a man a flawed man and because of that flaw, he can't extend his life. Um, it's impossible. He does what I consider not the right thing to do, but like the only thing that I would think of doing in that situation, which is, you know, you got to just rebel against life now because there is no point anymore. Your whole, yeah, all of what you worked for is for nothing. And now yeah. this is all you have until he realizes um he has a chance to to make things well like you said free will yeah, right he, like free will becomes a becomes an agent i think he the, realizes in, in life in that final confrontation with deckard that yeah. um being the monster that he thinks he is isn't going to help anything it's just going to worsen the situation for his kind mm-hmm. so he plays up 
the the boogeyman, the wild man, the monster, only to purposely subvert Deckard and um, show him that there's more to these replicants than than what's been told and what's been shown and and yeah what people know and that pushes Deckard even further into the camp of you know hey this Rachel like you know she's she's there she's not some thing some machine she's a she's a living breathing she has a soul and and the um the speech at the end um the monologue by Roy Batty by Roy yeah the yeah. Fa- the very famous tears in the rain which is completely improvised I know I which say. is crazy to me yeah crazy yeah. it might be one of the best improvised monologues ever ever okay I, I like I've never watched or known anything about Blade Runner but I I knew about tears in the rain um yeah because how can you not it, it's such a influential well, and, and piece yeah. of, of it yeah influential piece of cinema history to be honest yeah and honestly when you really listen to what he's saying it really is beautiful it's like well what's the point of life right like that's what he's saying it's like mm. when everything comes down to it and we're all just dying and your memories just fade into all the other into the cosmos right like what not what's the point of life but it's like it's somber it's like it's sad it's like this guy who it's Roy reflecting on his life right like he's talking about his time as fighting in wars and seeing things that nobody could imagine and it's it's like well now it ends and well what was all that for like what 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 did i do those things for and now i now i'm here talking to you like for me uh i think you said it perfectly it was like it's a chance to to show deckard like a new path right yeah for me in the entire movie leading up to this point deckard is a passive protagonist he's following the orders of of the police guy brian Mm-hmm. The, uh, the commissioner he's just following orders he's he doesn't even want to he wants to retire like he, in the beginning of the movie he's saying i'm done i'm not a blade runner anymore leave me the fuck alone i don't want to do this and brian said no like we need you you're the best so you got to do it and so he's reluctantly at the whole time he's reluctantly doing his job and at the end of the movie he realized like yeah well what am i what is this job that i'm doing i shouldn't be following like following orders that i don't want to be following roy batty coming from being created uh, for his purpose being to fight in wars and to kill and just to destroy that's his purpose in his final moments of life like after you know killing people and doing all the bad shit he did in his final moment of life he rebelled from his purpose because he didn't agree with it he rebelled and said no like actually i can do whatever i want to do so i'm going to save your life i'm going to show you that free will is a thing here mm-hmm. and I, I think take the ball and run with it yeah a lot of what you said it's true. I agree with, but I think the overall point of the speech is it's just to communicate a message to Deckard. It's like, listen, I've seen. Well, he's seen things. I've seen things. You people wouldn't things believe. you couldn't believe. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole point is to communicate to him. Like, sea beams. Yeah. <laughs> um, my life was worth living, but no one's gonna know about that, and I'm just gonna go down as some yeah like he did some villain. shit but nobody's gonna remember it no yeah he's, he's, he did he's, some shit out here he he did some amazing stuff that he wishes he could share could be remembered that could be remembered yeah. but it's gonna be forgotten yeah. and he's gonna be forgotten but i think yeah. he used deckard as that chance to 
be remembered to create change yeah yeah, yeah. And, that's and, that's a good yeah. that's a good uh, interpretation i think yeah that's beautiful i think that's um i think isn't that like the kind of isn't that deep in everybody's mind like the idea of wanting to have an impact wanting to have a lasting impact or wanting to be remembered or or whatever i think that's like that sentiment that he pulled like kind of pulls through to Deckard or, or shares a very personal sentiment again improvised which is insane it's yeah i think your your what you said is like really great about that it's 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 passing it along to to Deckard so it's it's to say he is passing his legacy on mm-hmm. you know he's like don't let me die in vain like i've just saved your life and i before like before that i was trying to kill you but i'm saving your life for a reason so don't there's a reason there now you have like a reason to live like in a weird way you know like it's um it's a weird it's a weird scene because even before that even before they're on the roof right like he's pretty committed to the fact that he's gonna kill kill Deckard but it's like the moment when he realizes he's about to die that all of his friends have died um that he's he's now actively rebelling against his his purpose or what he was made for I think, Which he, I think it's cool. yeah, I just think it's, he realized it's a last chance to actually make a change instead of just furthering the narrative that replicants are to be disposed of. You know what I mean? Maybe even along with making a change, it might be that he's he's becoming his own person in a way. He's doing something that's not what he's. It's not. It was never his purpose to save people. Which like makes that. sense because the right? reason they put the four-year lifespan is in is because the technology is so great that. Um, after well, they end up years, rebelling. They, they, yeah. They'll end up forming a free will of their own and, and making choices. Right. So for him to do that at the end of his life makes sense as well, where he finally yeah. realizes. But um, now to get into 2049, I think... No, no, real quick, real quick oh, before 2049. Real quick. The score of this movie... Synthy. ...is orgasmic. It's, it's great. In a word. It's great. It's one of my favorite film scores like of all time like I, uh, no joke this is one something that i just like to listen to whether i'm studying or just on my ones like just doing whatever it's a it's it's iconic because it's so out of this world like it's it's using i mean like it's very like out different kinds of styles are in there there's like jazz there's like arabic influence and african influences like and and when you you know when you see the setting of los angeles this world it's not like Los Angeles like you see today full of you know like moms and 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 dogs <laughs> like I don't know what I've never been to Los Angeles so I don't know what it looks like but you know what I mean like it's not all pretty and glamorous like it's um in the Los Angeles in the movie it is a multicultural melting pot of like it feels like the city of the world where you know everything is in like different languages everywhere and there's different kinds of people and it seems like a cultural melting pot like on a next level where English is no longer maybe the first language here, you know, like it seems like a very transformed world and the score mimics that. And and, it, and it's part of that thing that, like I said in the beginning, brings you into this world, you know, right from the opening, the score blasts you and you're soaring over this thing and you get this synth rising score hitting you in the face and you're like, yeah, I'm in cyberpunk land. I'm in 2019 flying out here. And yeah, I, I love this score. What did you think about it? Well, obviously, it kind of speaks for itself. Um, yeah, I don't. I have really nothing more to add other than it is great, and it is. Um, yeah, it definitely enhanced a lot of the the more drawn out scenes. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, if it wasn't for this score, it, it would probably be a lot more of a boring movie. It's it's a big, like, not to let it go unnoticed. Like, it's a big part of the film that kind of makes you makes you buy into everything and just kind of makes you feel. Um, yeah, the score is done by Vangelis. I'm not aware of more of his work, but it's, for me personally, one of the best film scores of modern cinema, um, which is disappointing how the sequel kind of doesn't run with that idea. I thought the score in the sequel but yeah, was let's, really well done. The score in the sequel you thought was well done? Oh, yeah. I thought it was great. Well, that, that was that was done by Hans Zimmer. See, now we're getting into 2049, so for those listening, now we're talking about the sequel. Um, I, you know the problem? Remember the problems that you felt you had with the Tenant score compared to other Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan movies? Yeah. That's rem- pretty much how I feel about the 2049 score. No. It I just, to me, wasn't as it. memorable. Well, I, yeah. and it's and it's funny because Hans Zimmer does the 2049 score yeah you know it's um, fucked not as memorable but I still think it had its moments I still think it hit the right notes it still captured that essence of what the Blade Runner world is like that jazzy it's a, it's different though no it, it wasn't for me it wasn't like that kind of jazziness it was almost like very electronic like more I guess if we're kind of in that same context of talking about how the score represents the world or it's like mimicking the world um, it's more like more kind of mechanic, more uh, machine sounds almost like more less melodic, like almost all melodies are gone. Almost all sense of naturalistic instruments, maybe that are sprinkled through there. Um, but it's for the most part, it's very mechanical, very gruesome and, and, and uh, not synthy. Actually, I, I guess it's not really, it doesn't rely on the synth. So those melodies just aren't there. So, in a sense, it feels like the world is a lot brutaler, more brutal than than 2019, you know? And and then you get a sense of that when you see the story, when you see it, how things have progressed in this world. It It's not like things have gone better, right? Like, it, it, for the most part, if anything, things are getting worse. And, you know, they, they allude to replicants now in, in 2049, right? So, okay, let's get into 2049, the context of this story. So... After the events of uh, uh, Blade Runner, the first one, Tyrell is now dead. So a new kind of god figure, we'll call him, comes up in in this world to take the place of Tyrell in the sense of creating replicants and slaves, essentially, to progress humanity in in the space, in in the cosmos. Uh, So there's, uh, what's his name, Wallace, played played by Jared Leto. I think pretty good performance by him. Yeah, uh, I, I wish there he's more uh, he's playing this like blind billionaire genius who invents the next wave of Nexus replicants. Except this variation has no free will, or or I guess limited free will. Um, uh, it like they don't have. What did it say in the title crawl? They don't have. They just follow orders uh, now. They they they're programmed. Yeah, they don't follow. They follow orders, right? They they follow exact orders. Um, and there's so before this movie came out, before 2049 came out, they released a variety of short films, some animated, some live action short films, uh, just to kind and and set in different points in the timeline. So one was like 2034, 2020 something, and it's just to kind of show you where this world has progressed from 2019. So yeah, check those out if you want to just to get a background probably on on the world of Blade Runner. So it talks about how Wallace has invented these robots with. Uh, they'll do anything you say. They'll kill themselves. They'll do whatever. Like that's how they work. They they follow orders to the T. And another point that they brought up 
a situation that happened in this world that there's more uh, replicant uprisings, more rebellions, violent rebellions happening across the board. And part of this led to a, a national blackout where all data, all kind of stored data on hard drives and stuff like that was all erased. So, And that plays into this movie, into the plot. So uh, it's it was cool to see that it's like a very much a breathing world, a very much a evolving world. Like we're not picking up where we left off. We were really um, in a different part of the timeline now. And so our protagonist in the same way as a new character played by Ryan Gosling, um, who is playing detective K who is a replicant blade runner. And yeah, it's a much, and from the opening, we get a much different version of the blade runner. And, and, and in a way, like how your opening is supposed to set up your movie, set up the tone. I love this opening. I love the cinematography. Of course, both the Blade Runners have some of the best cinematography. Roger Deakins is like probably the best cinematographer working today, and he did this movie. He won his first Oscar for this movie, which is well deserved. But uh, that opening scene when he he meets Batista, who is a replicant, um, and he has to conduct the Void Comp test, right? So if you just look at like from the original movie's opening when they're doing the Void Comp test to now, you see like how far this world has really changed in their approach to things like in the first movie the void comp was this you know you sit at a desk very bulky machines that you have to get somebody to literally sit across you and stay there and and sit through this investigation process and very kind of uh kind of um what do you call it like just a normal way meticulous If you know what I mean. It's, What's that? It, it's very meticulous and time-consuming compared to the new method, yes. which is like just literally look at the eye. Beat the fuck out of the guy, put the thing in his eye, get in, get out. It's it, Yeah, it's it's now Blade Runners are designed to get in, get out, and without the, um, without the time-consuming thing, like you said, it's much more brutal because of that. Blade Runners, like what Ryan Gosling represents. They're more I love his character in this movie, by the way. Yeah, they're more bounty hunters, exactly. They're seeking out these uh, replicants who have just uh, hidden away from the system. And so, like, Batista, another great casting. Like, the casting in this movie is fantastic, but I really wish Batista was kind of in this movie longer. Um, He's a farmer, and he's just, you know, he's peacefully living out his life. He doesn't want any harm or or doesn't want any trouble. And um, when we meet Ryan Gosling's character, it seems like he doesn't really want that either, right? He is doesn't want to pursue the violent option immediately no which i thought was cool no it's great um yeah 2049 takes everything the original did and it expands on it and it does it better in terms of like a detective style noir story i still think 2049 still falls into that um even more so it, it definitely is it's more of a yeah, mystery it definitely is that- still detective it's a mystery that unfolds yeah. where Ryan Gosling has to do like actual detective work. Like he, yeah, like he needs Ryan to- Gosling compared to Harrison Ford is definitely like an active protagonist where he's seeking information. Uh, like again, so there's this linking back to the original movie. There's um, the connection between the Blade Runner and like the police force, right? Where you're just meant to take orders. Don't ask questions. That's hammered down even more to this point where like, cause Gosling is this advanced or I guess I should use K is his name in the movie, is this more advanced Nexus model that can't really go against his orders, right? And he says, like, I, he, he's very robotic in his performance and, and just his character is very, like, uh, monotone and robotic. Like, he doesn't 
have variation or options running through his mind. He's very one way about what he wants to do, I guess. Um, so it's interesting to see how his character changes, how his mind changes when he witnesses a miracle, or you know, when he learns information about replicants in the world. Um, and in that way, it's he's a better detective because yeah. you're following you're following each and every clue that he finds, and there's more connections to like to the protagonist in the story yeah it's not just like a protagonist far more there's way more investment with the protagonist in the story in this way more there's way more stakes um which you know um k's character is is way more interesting and intriguing than um deckard was in the first one and i think deckard is actually expanded on and like way more interesting in this movie than the last one as well it takes the world that blade runner 1982 sets up and already what a rich and um, kind of detailed world it was it makes it even more real it makes it even more felt that these are people in the world like Deckard isn't brought back in the movie until way kind of like past the halfway point Two which hours is like, surprising uh, it's interesting right it's like Harrison Ford the star of the other movie he's he's utilized very well for the story I feel it's not like let's throw in Harrison Ford whenever we can because he's Deckard um, his purpose in the story is felt for a good reason um i don't know how much we should get into spoilers for this i think i guess we should it's it's a 2017 movie it's if you haven't seen it then watch it um but the 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 i guess what k is investigating is that rachel from the previous movie we find out has given birth with the help of deckard obviously and they have a baby which is new information for everybody that oh replicants can have babies now that's pretty insane didn't know that they could procreate yeah um the the right the new commissioner talks about how it's like it's a wall it's like if i love that information i love that where to get out we're talking about war here because and see this is this is where i i i kind of stand strong on my point of humans are like i don't want to paint it black and white again but like i mean like they're not they they represent kind of the worst point of humanity. I don't want to say they're void of all their humanity because they're still human, uh, but they represent the worst in humanity because she keeps talking about this wall, right? And how their their whole thing is about power and control. Like, that's what I find is like humans, like the human humans are all about control and power in this movie. But in she's this not world. entirely and, wrong. You know, see, even tying that back into Wallace's statement of all great civilizations are built on a, on a slave labor force. Right, and you can look at that in history and be like, "Yeah, that guy's not wrong there," but what are the implications of that? That's where the moral conundrum, right? Yeah, that's the whole moral problem. But like, in- it's like, okay, yeah, all well, all what we have today in the modern civilization was done through fucked up means, and we wouldn't have a lot of that if those fucked up means didn't occur. There's your moral conundrum. Yeah, but you know, I, again, like the commissioner's not wrong in terms of like if this information gets out, this is going to cause a lot There'd of be a shit. War. Yeah, and like that doesn't. Well, what would what would stop a replicant uprising at that point? Exactly. Right? So it's like she's not entirely wrong in her reasoning to want to stop this from getting out because, yeah, like you could actually, you know, this is like what situation would cause more suffering? Like, what would you do in that situation? Like, what's your job? Like, when you get presented with that information and you realize how world changing it is, like, of course you're yeah. gonna be like, well, like let's well just that comes let's pump now, the brakes. I love. Yeah, I love that we're having this talk because then it, it comes down to your worldview, right? Because it's 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 like what uh, Batista's character says to to Kay. It's like, well, you haven't seen a miracle yet. Like, so 
even though we get limited screen time with Batista and we don't know much about his stories, that line gives you a lot that everything he has done is to protect this kid. Like his whole purpose, his whole sacrifice in the movie is to protect this kid. And the reason being is like what that kid represent in the world is huge. It's it can destroy everything, but that might be worth it. Right. Like from the replicants point of view, I'm saying, yeah, not in the sense of like it's they're saying, like, yeah, fuck humanity. Fuck what humans have done. They've fucked up this world. Like, let's yeah, burn it to the ground. If a war starts, a war starts. But freedom of life is trumps everything. Like, that's the replicant ideology. Right. And they're not wrong. Either, right. But to, yeah, to, no, no. But I agree. There's, that that's point. the moral conundrum to get yeah. to that yeah. point. There's going to be a lot of suffering on both sides. So yes. It's like this whole idea of um, the inevitable um replicant revolution if this information were yeah. to get out like like you know like, it's 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 okay to stop it to be honest because there's i don't know well that makes that makes me like after that scene right like after her interaction with uh with k that's where i was like really like um what what is this guy gonna do he's he's a replicant at the same time but he's a replicant that follows his orders so now he, as much as we are, he is now in a moral conundrum as himself. And and she very coldly kind of brushes him off and says, oh, well, you know, you're doing fine without a soul. And that puts a dent to his robotic heart. We get to see a little bit of that. Um, it seems to me that that's what he wants. Like as in his deepest desire of consciousness, he desires the 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 want for like a purpose or like a soul like that thing that makes humans human he wants that thing he wants to feel special like that so like later as we progresses and he finds out oh he might have a connection to this ever-growing story he feels happy about that you know like now i have a purpose now i have some role in this situation Mm -hmm. which is which plays out great to the the final act where when presented with the fact that he isn't this special christ figure this chosen one Hmm. he still shows that he has a free will in terms of Mm -hmm. making decisions, which is hopefully better of a character arc than what was presented in the first movie. Um, Yeah. And like, I could really cheer him on. Like, yeah, good for you, man. Like fucking, you know, good for you. You've had everything taken from you. Your, (laughs) your, your wife, I guess. Um, your your life purpose but yet you still choose to do the he right fought thing for a cause situation. like a greater yeah like to him what was the right thing like essentially he aligned himself with a cause uh greater than himself which you know um it's like in this world where everybody could be a slave everybody could be a replicant like this is something after we watched blade runner i, I talked to you about this after where um you know the moment where Tyrell is talking to Deckard about implanting memories and and he's you know he's learning more about that you get a sense you start to question as an audience like okay what are memories like how do we know these 20 plus years of accumulated quote-unquote memories are actually 20 years like time-wise lived how do you how do I know I wasn't just born yesterday and somebody plugged a USB stick in me and uploaded all this shit into my brain right um, and when that question is posed to Deckard, his whole character uh, thought process changes, I think. Like, very subtly, again, very nuanced performance. But he, you, you get a sense that now he's starting to question the ground that he stands on. He's questioning the ideology that he's brought up on, on, on being a Blade Runner and stuff like that. So the, this ties again back into 2049 when 
uh, Kay makes his sacrifice. He he's fighting for a greater cause. He's aligned himself with a great uh, something bigger, you know, um, something more than just following orders or more than just, you know. I don't know. In a way, it's like, what does it mean to be human? It's like you're 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 in league with more of your kind. You're you're trying to do something bigger than just one person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's what I feel like this whole thing was leading to. Like you said, oh, like now it becomes a moral situation. Like, well, yeah, like a war could break out, but on the other side of that, people can be free, right? So now you might you're in a moral situation, and that he. There, what's the right answer there? That's a hard answer. That, like, what's right or wrong? That's really hard think, to determine. I but think the he ending cemented himself. I think the ending mm-hmm. shows there's a middle ground because it's either um, Deckard gets like used as a means to understand how to have replicants reproduce themselves, but not in terms of free yeah. will, but in terms of just faster production time to yeah. to colonize way more worlds like what's he say like seven worlds like a 10 year old can nine, count uh, nine, nine, worlds. nine worlds a 10 year old can count to nine worlds and he yeah. said we should we should own the stars own the yeah yeah own the cosmos or something again like that. human beings desire for power and control like what a fucking out there thing well he, you're no, just more, a man wanting to control the stars more or less his god complex um right where he but again this is like to be this, this yeah. christ this godly figure and he, he, comparing him to Tyrell, like definitely hits home more this idea of of a god complex, where he actually thinks he's like a god, referencing yeah, Tyrell angels. Just, Tyrell just into, um, just seemed like some guy who was really good at making a rich guy. Like he seemed like a like a Hugh Hefner type of a character, right? Yeah. Like he seemed like just like a snobby rich dude. He's not much of a genius, really. No, he but seemed he was like um, more or less like this was just born out of his natural curiosity. And and sure. he's just so smart that this was inevitable, like sort of like an, an atom bomb situation. Yeah, the morality is uh, it's beneath him. The whole questioning of whether this yeah. is right or wrong is beneath him. This it's is like just, this is necessary for human progress. This is just nece- so more necessary for his curiosity, whereas um, maybe Wallace's character maybe. Um, is more like this is necessary for my ego. Mm-hmm. I want to be revered yeah. as a god. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, he's seeking out he knows already that this child exists which i think it's a bit unclear how he knows that uh i think his question his character confused me because he also talks like shakespearean as fucking weird um but i think yeah, he, i think he's um, also hunting the child i think uh k's investigation sort of triggered it he's like this has to be true because why else would they be investigating this girl yeah it's almost like a convenience of plot that now they're on the trail yeah. it's it it's not super clear. Like, I know it, it makes sense, but it's, yeah, it's just like, okay, let's get the plot going yeah. now. But circling um, back. That might be my one uh, criticism, but yeah, no. That, what's mi- your that middle ground was like, you know, you can still establish free will within um, replicants and have them be free, but be covert underground versus a war, which I think is the implications of the ending. It's like, there doesn't need to be a war if you can just kind of keep this secret for a while. But at the same time, they set up at the end the the group of replicants that are seemingly uprising. So for me, it's like if there's ever a sequel in this franchise, it's going to be about an uprising. Well, not if this that movie the uprising lost $100 million is, dollars at the box office, which is why we can't have nice things anymore. Here's the thing. 
I, I pray to God there's a sequel or at least a continuation of this franchise in different ways. Like it's a fantastic franchise with a lot of, it's like, it, it's not like Star Wars. I don't want to say like that, but it's in the sense that it has a lot of storytelling potential. It, it is, I, I fantasize about, uh, and I want to speak about this carefully because I definitely have ideas running in my mind about this, but I fantasize about a Roy Batty prequel story, movie, comic, whatever. But like, I have the story in my head where it's, like the events leading up to the original Blade Runner from Roy Batty's perspective, him getting to Earth essentially, um, and and all of that. I I have this story developed in my head, and I would love for that to be a thing one day. So fingers crossed. It's like yeah, you know when when it's sad. Great movies like Twenty Forty Nine don't make a lot of money in the box office. Now that's an indication to studios that people don't want to see movies like Twenty Forty Nine. When it's like it's it's one of the best science fiction movies of our modern age it really is and i will admit one thing i cried like a bitch at the end man oh when he's reunited with his daughter or when yeah well when when hmm. k's death scene was like oh come on k's death scene. yeah i didn't i didn't want to give that away right at the thing but yeah spoiler k dies yeah, yeah. um k's death scene and then there's something about fathers and daughters in movies that always gets me to tear up and that was that was something that was a pr- pretty good reveal also with the daughter being that girl yeah um, that we're that we really meet shocked we're introduced to, yeah we're introduced to the daughter in in earlier on the film um through like through the motions of the plot k goes to meet um some kind of an analyst like a dream analyst i guess she is she, which is she, really cool like the ideas they memories. present in this world are fucking she create yeah she creates memories for uh replicants um and it's so cool like how they design these things like a dream creator like fuck i love that and and she she's lives in this uh hematically sealed kind of building i guess um so she's her whole thing is like she's protected from wallace by being right underneath wallace's kind of finger um which yeah it's pretty it's it's cool how how they pulled the rug from underneath you thinking like, oh yeah, we're setting up this uh, Messiah kind of a Jesus story. Uh, but it's not really that. It's about just like the regular Joe, right? Again, um, what's her name? Joy in the movie. Um, Kay's robot or artificial intelligence girlfriend. She starts to, in the movie, call him Joe, right? And I think that's for a reason. Like Joe is like, again, like a very kind of looked at as like that, that, typical name a very like average name or whatever not dissing the joes in the world out there but you know what i mean and uh calling a guy like a joe like the average joe or whatever it's it's um it's it's implementing more to the fact that he's not like a messiah or anything like that he's not the important guy in the story it's really this girl but he still has a purpose like in a way like everybody has a purpose you don't have to be special or born with somebody's specific blood or whatever like everybody can have a role to play in the in the bigger narrative the bigger story something like that for sure um i don't really have much else to say on this movie because a lot of it just expands on on the original blade runner but just more and i think in a better way i like i like how in this movie we travel outside of california we see more of the world oh yeah that's one of my las favorite vegas things fantastic I, yeah i want to know so what like happened in, in las the, vegas well yeah right like that's i want to know what happened to the world i want to know about the whole kind of context of what's going on what did, what did we do to fuck up that bad but it's like you're flying through california and you're like you, you know it, it, it you get like 
you know, like the favelas in Brazil, like how that looks. It's almost like that, how buildings are stacked upon each other and just... I think it's established like, that, like... polluted in construction, like... The real, like, the nice places are all the off-world places. And everyone... Yeah, that's... Is, yeah. That's here, just kind of got left behind. How much How much can you see now that I stole from Blade Runner when I made 2051? Uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Not so much on right? the replicant side of things, but... Um, no, no, but in everything else, essentially. Yeah, on the on the off-world, yeah. you know, you're stuck here, you're... Yeah. Shout out to that 2051. Was big... I actually did watch that, like, last week, just to... Oh, cool. Just to see my chubby face. <laughs> yeah, different time, different... Yeah, Cheney the actor, I love that. Fucking... Yeah, but that... I'll tell you, like, 2049 and the original Blade Runner were those kind of influential movies where I went on and made a short film after just to steal everything from those movies to be like, yeah, I can try and do that, but worse. <laughs> uh, except for Cheney's role. Definitely, definitely great in that movie. Yeah, my one um, line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we we get to see Las Vegas, which I guess they, they tell you like some nuclear disaster might have happened there. Some kind of thing went off. Yeah. And it's all it's all like orange and, and I like that dystopian and abandoned. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all a trash... A pile now essentially yeah um and i like how when we're introduced in that trash city we're introduced to um like that f- fucking the actor's name i forget but we're introduced to like the inhabitants of that land uh, whatever they're doing it's almost again like that guy is controlling a bunch of kids to do like slave work essentially right so exactly. that's again like a theme in this movie is constantly stuff like that and it was cool to see people in this world, like actual, like different people other than your primary cast. Like you, you, in this movie, you get a much more of a sense that this is a lived-in world. There's, it's bigger than just Los Angeles and police, Blade Runners and detectives. There's regular people trying to survive as well. Yeah, it's something that in the Star Wars movies, I actually want to see more of. Just the average Joe story taking place in the bigger universe. You know, well, which we uh, might get. I, I find those kind two, of things but... interesting. Uh, uh yeah no but i mean i mean like in a like a really grounded sense like taking like i know this movie again is like from the blade runner perspective but just introducing characters that are are like the lowest of the lowest rung of people that are like like uh, in mandalorian right when uh when mandalorian fi- when the mando finds out about the jedi and shit like that like they don't know what the jedi are they're talking about wizards and sorcerers with abilities like i love that scene because it's like wow like this is we're in a we're in a world of Star Wars or in an era of Star Wars where the Jedi are so forgotten and myth mythicized that people don't know what they are. It's like we're that far removed from the original film. So like it, it in a in a similar sense, like for Blade Runner to take us to Vegas and to take us to San Francisco or wherever and show us the world and these ground level characters is it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Um I do want to shout out one scene, which gave me a very confused boner, but um, still a crazy, crazy special effects with the uh, joy overlay over the prostitute, who's later not a prostitute. But Yo, like, yeah. can't forget about that scene. That's one of the best sex scenes of modern cinema. Oh. That's a that's a three way between AI yeah. and a robot and a human replicant. So. Replicant three way. Replicant three way. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say other than like from a filmmaking level like that's i know I've, i watched a documentary on or not a documentary just like a behind the scenes on how they did that and uh Denis Villeneuve was definitely talking about how it was a challenging scene because of how many 
different passes and takes they had to film of that of like you know two care two actors mimicking the same action and then layering it on top of each other i think it's a really convincing effect though it was cool it was like this is so weird and cool like i don't know it was weird but awesome yeah it was i i was confused as to why they're spending so much time on it but then i realized like okay we spent a lot of work on this so might as well just show all of it yeah no i would have i would have felt cheated if they didn't show all of it i wanted i wanted to see it go all the way and i was happy to learn that uh what's his name k mm-hmm. yeah k is he's still a loyal guy he he's still you know he loves his girl his uh his ai girlfriend he's like yeah you know i might i might have got some i might have got some from another girl but i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay loyal to my ai girlfriend yeah uh and she's hot man that actress in that movie i love her I know, she, on she's great looking. yeah she's uh beautiful she's in the next bond movie too is she is she mm-hmm. a bond girl she's she's the bond girl she's the bond girl i wonder if that's like smoke a show huge honor to be a bond girl or not i'm not sure anymore yeah i wonder wasn't it one of those like sexist things in hollywood it was for a bit but like it's they're always iconic roles so it's like it must be like yeah. some sort of to be the pride or something some sort of pride to be the bond girl like hey i was a bond i feel girl. like it's like yeah like in a way like when when people say like oh i'm a batman like i don't know if it's that big no it's I, but I, it I, might be something it, it's something it's definitely something um yeah so top of my resume i was a bond girl yeah yeah, uh, yeah it does look good in the cv yeah um but yeah anything else to say about 2049 other than it's oh yeah design wise like there's a, a lot of attention to detail in both movies like in the sense of like designing props and and the sets um something like i don't know if you keyed in on this in the first movie or if it put you off i find it like i find it interesting now but it definitely in the first viewing keyed me off of it a bit but like in how they they put so much attention and detail in in the outside world of like los angeles and these brutalist buildings and and just the whole cyberpunk aesthetic but the second they ever go into an interior you lose all sense of that or at least most sense of that uh, in the original movie in, in but the original? by the time they get to this in the original yeah uh some scenes in, some in scenes, most in most scenes. in most scenes and like until you get to until you get to like tyrell's place or, or that eye uh the eye guy like that cold freezer room and shit like that like yeah that those are the exceptions but like uh, like deckard's apartment the LAPD office, uh, stuff like that. It was like it really dated the movie to me. It felt like it's like this is like eighties as far. I did I did feel um, like the movie in terms of that didn't age well. Other than like obviously mm-hmm. the special effects are still fantastic even for today. But like yeah, yeah, that didn't age well with the other movie. But I feel like this movie yeah, is going to age a lot better. The, the set design it will for, for certain things yeah. is way better, way better. Yeah, way oh, better. way better. The thing is, they had. Uh, Denis Villeneuve had uh, Roger Deakins, a cinematographer, and Dennis Gassner, who's a production designer. He, from earlier on in the script writing phase, was collaborating with them on on just that, the design of the world, how things would look and feel. So that was in consideration from the very, very beginning. And you can see that, like, there's very special shots where, like, you know, things of, like, light, how light interacts with the set, right? When there's, like, it's very simple shots of just characters walking in a room, but they're beautiful because of how how they manage to get like light and shadow to interact, like moving lights and stuff like that. And then they continue the tradition of like practical sets 
and and miniature kind of sets to to create the cyberpunk city uh like check that out on youtube like how um you know who actually who did the set design and everything like who built it was weta weta studios the guys who did um lord of the rings oh really so oh yeah no wonder it's yeah great. yeah so they're carrying on their like tradition of creating really great miniatures and i i love that kind of filmmaking man where it's it's bringing in that old school style of miniatures and uh set design to to this kind of style of cinema where you can on top of that begin to layer the intermediate digital effects like cgi and like that blending of of digital and practical you know it just sells it all the more the the insane thing is the los angeles or not not los angeles las vegas sequence was practical like the the it wasn't a color grade on top of it it was like they actually shot in like a red setting like that or whatever and and built those sets as much as they could which is really cool that's crazy yeah fantastic and i think i'll just end on saying um it's obvious that um on top of this being a, a serviceable sequel um it's also a love letter to the original and there's a lot of love put into this movie um a lot of care and detail put into the world and um how do you pronounce the director's name denis villeneuve delhi denis Denis, like Dennis, oh. but French. Denis, Dennis without saying the S. Delevue. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Oh, anyways, Denis Villeneuve. Um, yeah. Did a good old Canadian yeah, boy. Did a fantastic job, and I have to say that Dune is in great hands. Yeah. Right now, now, now you get a sense of that too. Exactly. It's like you watch this, and you get amped even more for Dune because he's gonna, he's gonna bring that same sensibility. I feel that same kind of passion and commitment to story and to filmmaking yeah Uh, because i know that's what 2049 is that uh uh, the the passion for the story and the filmmaking collide and make a really great movie all right yeah uh oh yeah for our next episode though i'm really excited uh to say that we're gonna talk about the new netflix movie that came out right cheney that's what that's what yeah the The devil all the time yeah starring tom holland yeah mostly tom holland um I already watched it. I told Sid to watch it. I watched it too. I watched. I, I didn't text you about it. I watched it last okay, night. Okay, sweet. I, yeah. Well, I'll save my opinions for the next episode. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, signing off on this one, guys. Um, as always, thank you for staying tuned to our episodes. Thank you guys for listening. Um, thank you for following us on Instagram and and communicating with us through there. Um, if you're not already following us, then check us out and interact with us let us know what you guys are watching at home or on netflix or if you're going to the theaters yet we know it's a pretty tricky time to be watching new movies but uh that's what we're trying to do seek new movies and share new movies so if you got something new to watch let us know um don't forget to drop a drop a rating in our in wherever you watch the podcast it really helps us out in growing the show and getting out there to more people and um yeah signing off signing off